0: Welcome to The Endgame, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. My guest today is Dr. Susan Wilson-Cretchel, who is the author of How to Navigate the Minefield that is Dementia with Your Loved One. The book is based on her own experiences with her husband Oliver's dementia, and it is both a narrative and a collection of useful advice for anyone trying to be a caregiver for a loved one in the throes of the disease. Susan, thank you for agreeing to be here on The Endgame.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Diseases of the mind can be harder to recognize than physical ailments. Uh, When did you first notice that something was not right with your husband?
1: I would say that I never really noticed it until he had his first minor stroke. Uh, He appeared one day during the training of our dogs, and he was unable to load a shotgun. Uh, and he'd been doing that since he was 12 years old, uh, and he began running into things with the ATV and things that suggested that things were not right. And he also told me he had a terrible headache, which was the real um, the the real tip off that he was having a small stroke. We took him to the hospital and he had evidence of an active stroke. However, uh, the MRI showed that he'd had many previous strokes that had been not noticed. And that's very common in patients who have vascular dementia. So that was when I knew we were on the road to dementia. He was in his late 70s then and recovered except for some recall of words. And it wasn't until he was 80 that it was quite obvious that he had dementia.
0: Something that really surprised me in reading your book was the realization that he clearly knew what was happening to him. Do you think that's normally the case with dementia?
1: Not with every patient, but in many patients, it is the case. And in my view, that makes it all the more difficult because they do know.
0: Uh, Yeah, I would think so. Likewise, you point out that for quite a long time, he was able to make decisions. Uh, that was not my experience with dealing with dementia in my mother. And I wonder if, from what you know about dementia, is that how it usually works or was he unusual in that regard?
1: Uh, No, I don't think he was unusual. Uh, And I think we have to define how we're looking at decision-making. Uh, was he able to uh, make decisions independently? No. Uh, was he able to make decisions when presented with a yes or no problem? Yes, he was. And I think that commonly that dementia patients are able to do that. Uh, really until the almost the the end, I was able to give him choices in his health care. He had several medical issues that without treatment, he would not go on living. And I actually presented it to him in that way. If we we do this treatment, uh, you will survive. If we don't do this treatment, you will not. And he always chose life and it, it was a conscious decision.
0: Uh, along the same lines, one of the pieces of advice you offer to caregivers is to focus on the ability, not the disability. And I wonder if you can elaborate on that a little bit.
1: Perhaps one of the most important things to understand is that dementia is aging in reverse. Uh, and they actually, you can actually do tests that define what their mental age is and uh, he was at one time a a six-year-old unable to do a puzzle that was designed for adults but when given a puzzle that was designed for six-year-olds he was able to do it and it's important for you to realize that if you give them uh, age-focused activities, they feel a real sense of accomplishment. And in fact, one of the refrains that my husband continued to give throughout his life was, I want to achieve something. Uh, that is so critical to the dementia patient. And I would advise you if you're doing the laundry, ask, ask your loved one to help you with the laundry basket. Ask them to put the groceries away. Uh, ask them to do whatever it is that they can do because it's it's critical for them to realize that they are actually being a useful human being
0: um i really resonated with the part of your story where you talked about having to relocate from your home to different places and how that clearly had a negative impact on your husband. Uh, My mother had Alzheimer's and it became apparent that she was in trouble when she had to move out of the home where she would lived for 30 plus years to my brother's home. And it just she never really recovered from that disorientation. Um, It seems like if you can stay in place, it's a good thing is that a fair statement yes
1: absolutely um in fact whenever my husband went into the hospital and unfortunately he had many hospitalizations due to urinary tract infections and each time he went to the hospital i lost a little bit of him uh and i struggled to get back as much as I could after the hospitalizations. Uh, the other thing that I noticed, and to, to reverse a little bit, I kept him at home with me uh, and intended to do it to the, to the end of his life. But unfortunately, I became ill myself and was not able to take care of him. And that's when he went in to what I call the system. Um, He went first to an assisted living facility where he did very well for a short time. It was an, an assisted living memory care unit. So it was designed for dementia patients However, after six weeks, he had a psychotic breakdown. Hmm. And that is not uncommon with advanced stages uh, of dementia. And in fact, at this time, his mental age was somewhere around three or four. Um, but he was he wasn't a large man, but he was a very strong man. So consequently, he could hurt people and he was he was hitting other residents and hitting the staff and they sent him to the hospital unfortunately the hospital um sedated him almost to the point of a coma and they when he awakened from his deep sleep he of course he'd been in the bed for seven days eating very little very weak unable to walk and that's when we ran into the first of the minefield uh, that we encountered throughout our journey and that was the fact that because he couldn't walk he needed rehabilitation he was no longer able to go back to the facility that he'd been in. Uh, So one of the most important things that I can share with you is that you need to do your, your homework on all of the facilities that you're considering. Ask the hard questions about what if, what if they have a psychotic breakdown? What if they are unable to walk? What happens? Uh, so we did not know this about the facility and it was a level two assisted living facility. They had a, a rehab unit, but the rehab unit was not set up for memory care patients. So consequently, he couldn't go back to the place that had some familiar familiarity. And I certainly couldn't take him home at that point, even though I was somewhat better than I had been. So we got a lot of bad advice. uh, And that's something you need to be aware of. Not all of the advice you get is going to be good. And you need to research it as much as you can. And I advise you, as soon as the diagnosis is made, even though the individual has no outward negative behavior and negative effects. Look into the nursing nursing homes in your area. There are online uh, online sites such as Caring.com and A Place for Mom. They will give you lists of facilities in your area, but they know nothing about them. So you're still on your own. You have a list, but you still don't have the information you need. I would suggest that you use certified senior advisors, CSAs in your area. These are people who have a free service for locating facilities in your area. They know if they have availability uh, and they know the ins and outs, and they only get paid if you choose one of these. Keep in mind that baby boomers are aging. and consequently, there is a huge pressure on facilities, uh, and most of them have waiting lists. And I would advise that if you see one that fits your needs uh, that you would like to uh, have your loved one in if they become unable to be kept at home, then get on the waiting list. Sometimes the waiting list is six months to a year. And when your name comes up, if you're not ready, just pass it by and go to the bottom of the waiting list. Uh, but get yourself in a situation where you don't fall into the same trap that my husband and i fell into not being able to know exactly where we were going to go under what situations
0: Hmm. thank you in your own story you're very frank about how caring for your husband was physically and emotionally and financially taxing on you and yet i think many spouses myself included would still try to handle the care by themselves at home, just as you did. Um, at what point is that a bad idea?
1: Well, certainly it's a bad idea when your health has gone down as mine did. I, I was unable to walk a block without being short of breath and that's the sort of thing that you have to keep in mind if if you if your health fails then you can't take care of your loved one if you go first who's going to take care of your loved one so you've got to make those kinds of choices um in terms of the financial hit um my husband and i prepared for the event that we would need long-term care we didn't expect that he would because i was 17 years younger than him and a physician and it was expected that i would take care of him so we set aside well first of all we looked into long-term care facilities and, or not long-term care facilities. We looked into long-term care insurance. And at the time, many of the companies were going out of business. Uh, and most of them were cutting back on what they would cover. So consequently, we decided to self-insure with the idea that I would be the one that would be tapping into these funds. And we set aside $300,000, thinking that that certainly would do it. Well, when he needed care, we found that uh, a facility that was even remotely acceptable was costing 10000 per month, uh, and that, included, that did not include everything. So we were looking, and in, in, in fact, we went into a facility of this sort, and it was costing us eleven or $12,000 a month. He was getting excellent uh, physical care. He was always nicely shaven, always dressed very well, uh, which was not the case in one of the first ones that he went to in a rehab unit. Uh, I was told that it was the best place in town. And when I first visited it, it was well staffed. Uh, They pushed all the right buttons in terms of what they said about care. But after he was there, I went there one day and found him unshaven in somebody else's clothes, no shoes sitting in a wheel, wheelchair with his head on his chest, uh, saying, this place is different. I wanna go home. Uh, I called the administrator who said he would fix everything. Uh, and he, incidentally at this time, when I found my husband in that condition, there was no staff available. Absolutely no one on a ward full of 20 different people. Uh, so I went home and tried to find another place. Uh, and I found that most of them had a waiting list. Uh, so I was devastated. The situation, uh, that I found our, us in resolved itself fairly quickly because he fell out of his wheelchair backwards at this facility, and they sent him to a hospital. Uh, Fortunately, at the hospital, I got my first piece of good advice, which sent us to the facility, which cost $10,000 per month. And I was glad Mm. to get it. (laughs) Well, first of all, his mental age at that time was two and a half. Uh, And that qualified him for the basement unit in this particular facility, which was for individuals with brain ages of that or less. And what I found was their philosophy, the, the medical director's philosophy, was to keep the patients sedated, immobile, and listening to music all day. Well, they were safe and they were clean, but this was not the quality of life that I wanted for him. So consequently, I talked to the physicians and suggested they get him off of all of these mind-altering drugs that he had on board. They agreed to do that, and they were amazed at how well he did. Uh, The the rehab... People were able to get him to walk, and I helped with walking him while he was there and actually taking him home periodically and putting him on the treadmill at home. And he got stronger, and that annoyed the uh, staff at this facility because they were afraid he would fall so they put they put him in a device made out of pv pvc piping with wheels on it and a chair and he could pick up the pvc piping and walk around with it but he couldn't fall with it and he could sit down and wheel it around but again he couldn't fall he called it his cage And I was devastated for him. Mm. Uh, So I went about seeking again a different facility for him. And that's when I ran into the CSA person who was able to get us a facility where he could walk. And walk he did. Uh, And his quality of life improved considerably however at this time i also developed another medical problem which would require chemotherapy and with chemotherapy one does not want to be in a nursing home because with a lot of people with dementia there's a lot of infectious diseases running rampant so I couldn't abandon him by not leaving him, by not visiting him. uh, But I had to protect myself as well. And consequently, I made the decision to bring him home. Uh, So he came home. I did have a plan, and the plan was to hire a local woman who would come in at 7 a.m. every morning and bathe him and dress him and take him to adult daycare. This would be the second time that he was in adult daycare. Uh, The first time was just before I got sick the first time. And he loved it. It increased his socialization skills tremendously because he was with a lot of different people, many of whom had similar backgrounds, and he enjoyed it so much. Uh, The second time, not so much. His brain age had declined significantly, and he he spent most of his time moving the furniture around, and he did the same thing at home. Uh, all was not rosy because he had several psychotic breakdowns during the time that mm. he was at home. His anger was directed mainly at the woman who was taking care of him in the mornings and taking him to daycare. Uh, but sometimes he addressed, or he address those problems with me. And in fact, I went to the emergency room on New Year's Day when, at one time because he he bit me while I was trying to get him to take one of his medications. Uh, so things things were okay, but difficult. And I say, okay, because he was able to spend his 91st birthday, Christmas and New Year's at home. And that was a good thing. Uh, The other good thing was there were moments of great joy uh, when he would be lucid and the husband that I knew and loved so much. I continued to love him of course, but knew him less. Um, One day when I was having a particularly difficult time toileting him, the phone rang and it was the veterans home that I had placed him on a list and the veterans home had a place for him. I said yes, but spent the next couple of weeks second-guessing myself because I lived for those joyful moments that we had, uh, but was also stressing myself greatly because of the infantile age that he had actually become. So in the end, he did go to the veterans' home. And I would urge you, if your loved one is a veteran, to look into veterans' homes. These are state-operated facilities that have actually been in existence since the Civil War. Uh, They are run by the states. And most states, in fact, all states have at least one. Some have several. And they vary. Again, most facilities are dependent upon the philosophy of the people who are running them. One of the veterans homes that I looked at for him, uh, the patients were all Uh, sitting around with their chins on their chests and obviously over-sedated. The one that he ultimately went to, the philosophy was to use as little as possible of the mind-altering drugs. And consequently, the guys were all up and walking and talking and talking to each other, talking to the staff, and their quality of life was good uh the staff philosophy was it was their privilege to take care of the guys and that rang true throughout his entire stay there he was there about four months before his death but it's definitely one of the places that you need to investigate the cost two thousand dollars
0: per month what a difference Uh, so
1: compared to compared to what we had been through uh that was phenomenal and it was probably the best place that he had been not not the prettiest but the best
0: that's quite a long journey and i'm glad you talked about the moments of of joy when when the the cloud lifted and he was who he was you also told about the point where he said to you I don't think my wife would like this and clearly didn't recognize you um yes did that hurt uh
1: that that was uh was at first a funny moment and then I was absolutely devastated. Uh, we, we had been shopping in uh, at Costco and coming out, I was holding his hand and that's when he said, I don't think my wife would like this. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we got into the car and I, I said, I am your wife. And he said, well, she has a car like this but he still (laughs) did, did not recognize me. And this was the first time that had happened. And we were within one month of having his 90th birthday bash, which was a really big deal. We had people coming from all the way north and all the way south, all the way east and all the way west. So we had about a hundred people coming to this 90th birthday party. And most of my my relatives, uh, his kids and uh, others all thought I was absolutely crazy for taking this 90-year-old with dementia and throwing a big party for him. But it was actually a good thing because he actually came out of himself with all of the, the folks from his past. And he, he so enjoyed it. And we were, we were, we were able to um, bring him back, basically, from not knowing me to being much more socially interactive by throwing that kind of a party for him. Uh. So I'll always look at your always look at your loved one as though they can do it because they can.
0: That brings me to what I wanted to to ask next. If you could give one or two pieces of advice to the spouses of dementia patients, that what would what would you like them to take away from from your book and your experience?
1: Um, well, you need to realize that they are aging in reverse. Uh, however they have capabilities that you need to bring out in them in any way that you can Uh, and that includes socialization Uh, it includes stimulating their minds Uh, it it requires that you do your homework and make sure that you know, uh, what the next step is, even if it doesn't come to that, at least you're able to identify what you can do to help your loved one. And remember quality of life is much more important than quantity of life. I don't be afraid to let them go for a walk. I don't know that you want to do that in an uncontrolled environment near city streets and so forth. But I, I never had a problem with my husband roaming the farm. Uh, and that was something very joyful to him. And we went for many walks in Jefferson Barracks and other uh, parks and recreation facilities so don't be afraid they're going to fall if falling is a risk of life that we all have to face and don't don't exclude them from things that might involve a little bit of risk because life is all about
0: risk wonderful uh susan i know how hard it was for you to to endure the experience and to relive it. So I thank you so much for sharing your insights with us on, on this very difficult, but very important subject. Dr. Susan Wilson Kretschel's book is how to navigate the minefield that is dementia with your loved one, and you can purchase it on amazon.com. Thanks again, Susan, for being with us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The Endgame, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The Endgame.